Well, you can guess where we're going today. Wrestling. Wrestling with God. As a, as a young boy, I wrestled a lot with my two younger brothers. Despite them having the blood condition hemophilia, much to my parents' chagrin, especially my mother. That's the last thing she wanted to have her boys wrestle. But boys love to wrestle. And at first, you know, and I think many of you guys or maybe women can when you're children, you wrestle and it's fun wrestling, right? You're just fun wrestling, having some fun together. And all of a sudden, you get hurt. Then it changes everything. And now it changes into, okay, you're going to hurt me. Well, I'm going to hurt you. And the wrestling begins to intense. And we begin to really fight. And then somebody gets hurt or mom and dad discovers we're fighting and they intervene and it stops. There's two types of wrestling, isn't there? There's fun wrestling where we wrestle for the fun of it. And then there's that intense wrestling that happens when we get hurt. When we're wrestling with God, what type of wrestling are we doing? Is it the fun wrestling? Or is it wrestling because we have felt hurt? I have not met anyone who fun wrestles with God. But I have met lots who wrestle in the other way, including myself. And it's because we believe that God or life has hurt us in some way. That life should not be this painful, that life should not be this way, that this should not be happening. And yet it is. And it's in this disconnect between what is our painful experience and what we believe it should be, that life should not be this painful, this hard, that creates this experience of hurt. Or maybe a better word would be broken trust. We feel that God has let us down. So much so that our trust in God or the divine reality that we believe shapes every aspect of life has been broken. There seems to be a connection between broken trust and our experience of hurt and our need to wrestle with God. However, if we are wrestling with God, it also tells you something else. And that it's this, it's that your total trust with God is not totally lost yet. You're still wrestling. You know, if our trust was totally broken, we would walk away from God, we would walk away from our Christian faith, and, and we would start believing maybe that, oh, God's just a fairy tale. There's no truth to it. Or we might believe that God is so untrusting, totally undependable, in fact, even dangerous. I'm going to avoid God at all costs. But when you're wrestling, you're not doing those two things. You're actually trying to keep a relationship with God. Those people who are wrestling still have a relationship with God. Maybe a very fragile relationship filled with a lot of hurt and anger, but there's still something there, something connecting. A relationship nonetheless. And that's really important for all of us to understand that, to realize that. Because just because you're wrestling does not mean your faith is broken or lost. You still have faith. It's just you're wrestling with your faith now. 
In fact, it's a desire for you to even have a stronger, better relationship with God. That's why you're wrestling. You're trying to restore it. You're trying to fix it somehow. Reconcile it. That's why you're wrestling. The Bible story you're about to hear is the story of Jacob wrestling with a mysterious person. An angel, some, some uh, interpreters say an, uh, it's an unknown entity, some entity that Jacob or religious interpreters saw as a manifestation of God. But why was Jacob wrestling with, with God in this way? And that's a really good question in this text, which you're going to hear in a moment. But let me provide some context before you hear this text. 20 years plus before the story, Jacob, with the help of his mother, fooled his father into giving him the family blessing. The blessing that was supposed to go to the oldest son, Esau, making Esau the head of the family, head of the extended family. The one, and he was also the receiver of the blessings for the family. God's abundant blessing. And so, Jacob stole this blessing from Isaac, his father. And Esau was furious, Jacob's older brother, for Jacob doing this, for stealing his blessing, and he was determined to get rid of Jacob, to kill him. And so Jacob fled for his life, and he lived with his uncle Leban, an uncle on his mother's side in a neighboring territory. And he was instructed to marry one of Leban's daughters. That was the plan. So for 20 years, Jacob lives with Uncle Laban, who tricked Jacob many times, causing him to marry not one, but two daughters of Laban. It seems that trickery ran in the family. However, every time, everything Jacob touched, God blessed. And Jacob realized God's blessings many times throughout those 20 years. His crops just abundant yields. The sheep and the goats, they had many different offspring. And so he was being blessed, and Levin was not being blessed so much. And so Jacob's assets, his holdings, his herds, his, his wealth grew and grew and grew. He was experiencing the blessing that he had received from his father, interesting enough, to God in a strange way. And so Jacob, and so the, of course, this created lots of tension within the Levin household, and, and so Jacob realized he needed to go home or he felt led by God to go home back to his homeland to where his dad was still living and his brother Esau lived as well. And so he headed home with all these herds and all these crops and holdings and two wives and many children and many servants. But it's interesting that despite how God had been present to him and had blessed him many times in those 20 years, Jacob could was not, could not trust God. He was petrified going home. He was scared stiff of what could happen if he went home to meet Esau, even though God had blessed him so much in the past. In the Bible, we read that Jacob actually sends ahead of him tons of gifts to Esau, you know, gifts of goats, and then there was some sheep he sent, and then camels, and cows, and donkeys. And when Esau met these herds, Jacob instructed his servants to make sure you say to Esau that these are gifts for your, from your servant Jacob to you, Master Esau. So he was honoring the patriarch that was supposed to be. 
and to say, Jacob was actually right behind us. Well, upon receiving these gifts, Esau totally ignores him and rushes on to see Jacob. And upon hearing this news from his servants, Jacob's petrified. He's fearing the worst. Oh, my goodness. Jacob's, Esau's going to kill me now like he, like he wanted to do 20 years ago. And it's at this place in the story that Jacob has this experience of wrestling with God. Jacob knows he will see Esau the very next day, his brother. Let's hear the story now. Jacob got up during the night, took his two wives, his two woman servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River's shallow water. He took them and everything that belonged to him, and he helped them cross the river. But Jacob stayed apart by himself, and the man wrestled with him until dawn broke. When the man saw that he couldn't defeat Jacob, he grabbed Jacob's thigh and tore a muscle in Jacob's thigh as he wrestled with him. The man said, let me go because the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He said to Jacob, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name won't be Jacob any longer but Israel, because you struggled with God and with men and won. Jacob also asked and said, tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask for my name? And he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, because I've seen God face to face and my life has been saved. The sun rose as Jacob passed Penuel, limping because of his thigh. As I noted earlier, when people wrestle with God, it's a sign that they have felt hurt by God. A broken trust has happened. That life should not be this painful, this difficult, that one should not have to experience this. And it seems that for Jacob, he is filled with fear. A fear that is beyond anything he's ever lived with before. A fear that's almost too much, or maybe it is too much. And it seems that this is why he's wrestling with God that night. Our Bible story just read states that Jacob wrestled with his mysterious person all night. And this person, realizing it could not defeat Jacob, injures him, injures the hip. But even then, it's, we're told that Jacob would not let go of this person until he received the blessing that he wanted, that he needed. Now, isn't that interesting? It's apparent that God has blessed Jacob continually throughout those 20 years in many ways. But somehow, Jacob did not feel blessed by God and the way he needed. It didn't feel authentic. Why is that? Well, if you look at, at how Jacob was blessed by God in those 20 years, through abundant crops and animal herds and becoming a powerful and influential leader, you soon realize that Jacob was, 
would understand all these blessings as a fulfillment of that blessing he stole from his father, or stole from Esau and got from his father. In fact, all his abundance and prosperity was supposed to go to Esau, but he got it, because that's how he would think, I wouldn't could say. I can imagine. And as a result, all this prosperity and, and, and abundance would just remind him of who, where he came from. The guilt, the shame. There was no freedom and all this blessing for him to receive. In fact, the more God blessed him, I wonder if Jacob felt even more cursed in the sense of what it brought, the guilt it brought in his way. And so no wonder he wanted God to bless him in a different way. The injured Jacob says to the mysterious person, I will not let you go until you bless me. And in the end, God gives Jacob a new name, Israel, which interesting was the name of that boy I talked about earlier, Israel, which means that I have wrestled with God and humans and have prevailed. Something happened in this experience of wrestling, in this experience, in the blessing that came for it, for Jacob now felt, had a new name, now Israel. The next morning, Israel created a sacred marker, and he named this place where he had just wrestled, wrestled with God, Pinal, which means I have seen God face to face, and my life has been saved. Later that day, if you go on to the story, we read how Esau finally found him. He runs right up to him, throws his arms around him, gives him a big kiss, and they wept together. The wrestling was over. With God, with Esau, with one's life, oneself, with life for Jacob that day. Today, later in worship, we're going to have an anointing service for the lesser family. Health-wise, it's been a very difficult year for Melissa and Terry. I'm not sure how many people realize this fall, but Melissa was very sick back at the end of, the, of October. A ruptured cyst in her pancreas that was full of infection bursted, and that infection went throughout her whole abdomen, and she almost died. She was that sick. And it's been a slow recovery ever since then. Two steps forward, one step back. And we as a congregation have been part of that too as we have been praying and hearing updates. But they have lived it. They have lived it. I know we have, we have been praying as a faith community for Melissa and Terry and Natalia and Henry. But I thought it would be helpful for them and maybe for us too as a congregation to, to have a time anointing this morning in worship. A few weeks ago, I suggested this to Terry and Melissa about having a healing service in January, and they were very open to it. And when I asked them what would be a good text for today to reflect on, they shared this text about Jacob, wrestling, wrestling with God. Now, this would not be the first text I would choose for a healing service. But as I have sat with this text over these last few weeks, the theme wrestling with God has taken on a new meaning for me. You know, I think all of us have found ourselves wrestling with God at times in our lives. Sometimes more than others. Especially when life has been tough. Tougher than we wish. Sometimes tougher than we, we can even tolerate at times. 
The Lesser family is not the only people in our church who face serious physical or mental health issues this year, or both. And I have good friends outside the church who are also facing significant health issues, one who's palliative. In fact, I learned last Sunday that one of my tennis partners, I played tennis in the summertime, age 51, has been diagnosed with MS. A big blow to him and his family and his church family. There are many, many people in our life, in your life, who find themselves wrestling with God, including ourselves. I remember a few weeks before my brother Jamie died that I had to preach a sermon at First Mennonite Church in Kitchener. It was the summer of 1992. I think it was in July. And it was my last sermon there, and I decided, it was part of my internship year, and I decided to preach a sermon on being angry at God. And I was wrestling. I was very angry. Because I had prayed and my family had prayed and for my brother to get be healed from the AIDS virus and all that what was going on to his body. And he was getting sicker and sicker. I wanted God to bless my family and especially bless my, my brother, Jamie. And I also had another brother, Kevin, who saw this, who also had AIDS. And I didn't know when I preached that sermon that within five, six weeks that he would die. He, that, that he would die. But I preached that sermon... And I still remember a member, my, member at First Mennonite Church taking me out for coffee. He was either, he was a Tuesday morning that week, and he scolded me for preaching from the pulpit, a man of God, about being angry at God. Now, this man turned out had a lot of anger problems, but he didn't acknowledge it very well. But I was really, as a, as a young pastor intern, I was really caught off guard. And I remember going back to Bryce Balmer, my supervisor, and he said, Gordon, it's okay. Just, there's, just go read your Bible. There's lots of people in the Bible who are angry at God, and they're, and they're, and they're doing fine. <laughs> well, maybe not. Some prophets, they get killed. <laughs> but you read your Bible, there's a lot of angry psalms. David was angry when he wrote those psalms. There's lots of prophets who, God, this shouldn't be this way. They were wrestling. And that was a huge relief um, when Bryce told me that. I remember another time as a pastor really wrestling with God. It was during my time as interim pastor at East Aurora Mennonite Church 10 years ago. A young teen boy there had, had surgery around a health condition, a surgery designed to, he had, a, he had narrowing of some blood, a blood, major blood vessel going to the brain, causing some blood circulation issues and blood pressure issues in the brain. And so they're doing a special procedure to actually change that, fix that. It's a certain disease that you're born with, I think, I understand. <clears throat> and he had the surgery, things were going well, and then two or three days later he had a stroke, which meant more surgery. And then another stroke and more complications. And, and I'm certain I, I was with a team David Gelsey was the other pastor, as well as Jane Kipfer. And Dave worked with the pastoral team, the elders, and they had a, we, I know they had, a, they had a, a prayer vigil at the church that one evening. And there was, I don't know, 70, 80 people there. Pretty spontaneous, happened within a few days. But what I do remember myself as a pastor is sitting with the extended family of this young teen boy, the parents, the grandparents, the uncles, the aunts, the cousins. We were all gathered together in a private room there down at Victoria Hospital, the young boy was going in for another surgery. 
and the outlook did not look very good. And the doctors were, conv were not convinced that this would help them, but, well, we got to try something. And they weren't even sure he would survive the surgery. And there I was as a pastor, wrestling with his whole family who were wrestling with me. And I was wrestling, how do I pray today with this family before the surgery? You know, and as a pastor, you can sit there. There's sort of two ways you can pray, right? You can pray for healing. And the sense is, boy, will go through the surgery and be healed and come back, hopefully pretty normal. Or you can also pray for healing of the other type, right? The prayer that, well, this person will die and enter the healing of death. And the healing that goes with, with heaven, that type of healing, being freed of the physical suffering of this world. And I, as a pastor, knew I could pray a prayer like that, to pray a prayer in some ways, I don't like calling it a safe prayer, but you sort of more general. But on this day, I could not pray that way. My wrestling with God would not allow it. I was too upset by the injustice that was happening to this boy and his family. And so I led a prayer that day for physical healing, and I was pretty insistent, actually, with God. I was pretty angry, insistent, demanding God to bring about healing and thankfully, this 14-year-old boy came through the surgery and recovered, not fully, physically. He still got, a, on his one side, he still got some, how would you say, some, some uh, negative impact. He can't quite walk quite normal. But in terms of his the, the cognitive piece, well, he graduated this past year from University of Waterloo. And, um, and I still remember, I remember the family asked, like a week or two later, asked me, Gord, why did you pray that way? We were praying, we were expecting the opposite. And I prayed this way, and I said, I have no idea. I just prayed what I felt I had to pray in that moment from my wrestling. And I still see his grandparents at visitations at NIFU, and they always thank me each year for that sacred time that we had together as a family. Ten years looking back, I'm not sure I would have prayed any differently. I don't know. Maybe instead of demanding God to heal this younger boy, I would have demanded what Jacob demanded, maybe. I think I might have changed the words slightly. Jacob wanted to be blessed, blessed by God, a blessing that would totally change him forever, totally change how he saw himself, totally change his identity. That actually is the significance of the name change in the story, I think, is that there's a shift in identity going on for Jacob. That's what he wanted blessed for. God's blessing upon Jacob was so profound that he no longer saw himself as Jacob. Remember, Jacob means the deceiver, the trickster. The one who had tricked his brother out of his blessing and birthright. That old identity was now gone. For now, God had given him a new identity, a new experience of faith, a new experience of ex experiencing life. One who had wrestled with God and had prevailed. And with that new identity... Israel was open to experience his brother differently the next day. If he didn't have that blessing, I'm not sure if he would have even allowed Esau to get anywhere near him. He was so scared of being killed by him. But he was able to take the risk because of this blessing he had just experienced the night before. One that allowed him to receive the grace and love his brother wanted to give him that day. I am very much aware of how negative life experiences like persistent illnesses or trials can cause us to have a certain negative view of ourself and of life and of God. A negative, negative self-identity, one could say. 
a certain unhelpful way of understanding and seeing ourselves that just sort of keeps leading to the negative happening over and over again. That's the power of identity if it's, if it's in a negative way oftentimes. Like Jacob, because of our past difficult experiences, we come to believe that God no longer will bless us, that God's presence and spirit is no longer with us, at least not in the full way. And so today, as we anoint Melissa with oil, I will be asking God to bless her in this way. And to bless Terry, and to bless Natalia and Henry, just as Jacob asked God to bless him. And I will be asking God to bless them so much that they will be able to experience and discover new identity for themselves as people, as a family. And then he built upon how God has blessed them in the midst of their ordinary life today and in going forward. May God bless each of them with a new name today, a new way of experiencing life that allows them to feel blessed by God, by life, and all those around them who love them and, and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.